This very interview took place live inside the Influencer Vault. If you want to learn more about becoming a member so that you can see the video of this interview and a lot more and be a part of weekly interviews that take place and have opportunities at your fingertips to speak, write, and be interviewed, go visit theinfluencervault.com today and sign up to get your free gift and then you'll uh, be directed to the website to learn more about the Influencer Vault. Hey everybody, it is Corey Poirier and we're back live with the Influencer Vault interview series. Super excited to have a good friend and actually um, somebody who I'm a client of his in a great uh, inner circle that he has. Uh, so Kyle Wilson, I'm super stoked to have you here today. I've been talking you up inside the group here for a few days now. Uh, so Kyle, first of all, welcome on board. And can you tell us just a little bit about yourself to kick things off? Sure. Hey, thanks, Corey. My honor. Been following you for a while. Love what you do. And uh, so I'm honored to be here. Wow. You know, I don't know if I can tell a little bit about myself. I have a story I'll share real quick that'll give people context. Uh, I grew up in a small town, never went to college and uh, got in trouble, did drugs, the whole thing. Age 19, had a significant emotional experience, really changed my life. Little did I know eight years later, I'd be doing seminar events all over the country, filling up huge rooms. And I would hire Brian Tracy, hire Ogmandino, hire Jim Rohn. And then that led to, in 1993, me making Jim Rohn an offer he couldn't refuse. And I said, listen, I think, Jim, you're the best speaker in the world. I'm a pretty good promoter. I would love exclusive rights. But Corey, Jim had had a couple of partnerships go really south, you know, and I'm talking over a million dollars combined. So he wasn't really looking for a partner. So I said, listen, it'll be my company. I'll pay you off the top. I'll pay for everything. We'll both be free agents. And so we shook hands. And that first year, I took him from 20 speaking dates to 110, tripled his fee, started creating products. And, you know, it's all about bringing value, right? And so he brought value, I brought value. And I always say, Corey, and you being a Jim Rohn student and fan, you'll, you'll appreciate this. Jim is like the gateway drug to personal development. You know, someone hears Jim Rohn and now they get turned on and that introduces them to the whole concept. And of course, Jim talks about thinking, grow rich and all these amazing books. So I started another company called your success store. And that allowed me to start booking Brian Tracy, Les Brown, Mark Victor Hansen, Dennis Waitley, Nito Quabine, all these speakers, Bob Berg in 1994 uh, through that company. So I would book them. I started selling their products that eventually led to the internet in 99, built the first million plus list, uh, published books. Uh, had a great business, great team, great honor of working with Jim Rohn 18 years. And then I sold it in 2007 and retired and uh, came back a few years ago, started my inner circle and just doing things I really enjoy. So Kyle, there's there's some questions that were pre-submitted and people watching, we're getting comments here right now. Uh, feel free to submit questions. One of the things I want to ask you, which I never asked before, and I don't know how many people ask you, what was retirement like? Because, you know, that's there's like a, maybe a like a 10 year. It sounds like maybe in between that you weren't doing any of this stuff. Were you truly fully retired? And what was that like? How hard was that or easy was that? 
Yeah, I don't recommend it, honestly. Uh, so what my mine was a unique case. I my kids were becoming teenagers. I had some family dynamics. I had the only guy that that wanted to buy me that I thought could really take the company. I, I mean, I was the agent now for Jim Rohn, Dennis Waitley, Chris Widener, Ron White, all these other speakers, plus I had this huge team and this million plus list. So he was the only guy and he was buying success magazine at the same time. And so I thought this would really help my speakers. I gave 20% to my team as profit sharing when I sold. So it just seemed like a win, 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 win. Little did I know Jim would pass away two years later. Uh, it was the two toughest years of my life. I, I had to stay on with the company and, you know, when companies buy companies, it doesn't, it doesn't always go well when you have an entrepreneur and then you have a, a, a team come in that really, really doesn't understand your business. And part of the deal was they were supposed to leave us alone and that didn't happen. And so it, it was a difficult two years. And um, when I sold though, Corey, I had no plan to start over again because it was, you know, I spent 20 years building it. So I had no belief I'm going to sell this and go do it again. I really understood we had won the Super Bowls and it's not that easy, right? So I really didn't have a plan to come back. And so I had to try a lot of things uh, in retirement, mainly uh, investments in the stock market and things like that. I, I found out I didn't do very well in retirement. I was bored. And so I had a little test I gave myself. I said, hey, for, for a month, I'm going to start reaching out to some people, you know, Darren Hardy and Vic Johnson and start having conversations. And it really brought life to me. So I decided to get back in the game. I will also say uh, one of your fellow Canadians had a big influence, and that was John Asaraf. So I called John in 2007, 2008. And at the time, I was working closely with uh, Darren Hardy, too. And so I had both those guys really coaching me in this. And John had sold his companies. And he said, Kyle, the best recommendation I can tell you is just do it all out leave for two years, don't try and go start the next thing, because I did have a mental plan of something I would want to start. He said, don't do it, just take the time off. And he had done that when he had sold his companies. And so I, I'm a better person for having done it, Corey. I, I felt I was kind of at the top of the mountain than to let it all go, let, you know, let go of the list, let go of all the intellectual properties. It gets to confront you with what you're all about and, you know, are you getting your identity through the, that, you know, everyone wants to be on your stages and you sell your products. And I, and I will say I was, I was tired. I mean, I felt like I'd run all these four forties or in Canada, these, these 400 meter races where, you know, one event, the next event, I'm representing so many people. I have so many employees. I thought, you know, I really, want to be available for my family, my kids. And uh, so I'm a better person having gone through that experience, but I also, I'm not a big, I, I the people I really try and emulate now have business, businesses and have a lifestyle attached to the business. And they're able to really find fulfillment in that. And uh, so I think, Having something to do is a great thing always. Uh, so I, I've watched Harvey McKay, Brian Tracy, these different people really do a, a great job 
of never retiring per se, uh, but building legacy companies. And so I want to definitely dive into some strategies pretty quickly, but one last thing I want to ask you about that, because I'm just thinking of that timeline, Kyle. So when you mentioned the person that you sold it to bought Success Magazine, so if I dig into my memory banks, that seems to be when Success was sort of relaunched and Darren Hardy came on as the publisher. And so, and then you said you had to, you had to work with the company for a while. And I remember they started uh, within Success Magazine doing a lot of Jim Rohn advertisements, Grab Jim's this. So was that, am I correct in saying, was that all part of that? Meaning were you working with Darren then when you were still working uh, with the entity? And was that also why I started seeing so much Jim Rohn stuff in Success Magazine? It was. Uh, so Darren and I go back to 1993 and we had worked together quite a bit. And I'd actually brought Darren in in 2006 to help me with some projects. And then I started a company called TST and the Success and Training Network in 2006 with Mark Sparks, who had just sold Wise Trade. And I said, listen, there's this guy, Darren Hardy in San Diego. If we can talk him into being the, the CEO of the company, because I don't have the bandwidth. So I brought Darren in. And then when I started having the talks to sell the company to the guys buying success, I also said, listen, if we do this, I really highly recommend because they would have, they were getting that entity too, that you make Darren the publisher. So Darren and I had already worked closely. I would say his time at success, we did not work as closely. <clears throat> they were marching to their own drum and he was the publisher, not the owner. And, but where I started coaching Darren was more like 2011, 2012, 2013, when he was going to launch himself and we would meet once a month. And so, and at that same time, Robin Sharma had reached out to me and wanted me to coach him. So I was working with Robin. I only bring him up because again, a fellow Canadian and Robin's an amazing guy. And I really put Darren and Robin in the same camp in this regard. They're not big joint venture guys. They built, they marched to their own drum. They're, zero fear of loss, zero fear of missing out. They're very clear on what they're about, what they're going to do, and they just go do it. And you can't tempt them. Another guy is Dan Sullivan. I mean, you could say Dan, because me and Mark Victor Hansen would go to Dan's events starting 1995. We'd go to Chicago every quarter. And Mark was the biggest author in the world saying, Dan, I want to do this, do that. And Dan's like, no, that's a buffer day for me. So no, I'm not available. And we're talking like 90 days out. He's like, no, that's, I'm going to be with my wife that day. And so I, I'm really attracted to, to Robin, to Darren. And I always teach uh, principle-based marketing. I'm a big believer in tactics. Those guys understand tactics, but principles are what they base all their tactics on. And I'm honored to have coached them and worked with them. So, and we're seeing some comments, love Jim so much. And I've heard Darren speak and he's amazing. Uh, it's funny. Uh, I always think of Dan because of, uh, I always think of uh, Frank Kern. He always says mean old Dan Kennedy. <laughs> but, well, well, I'm talking <laughs> Dan Sullivan, Dan Sullivan. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. And I know Dan Sullivan too. Sorry. I was thinking you yeah. saying Dan Kennedy. I'm, I don't like this, I'm in this Canadian mode for you, brother. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, so Dan Sullivan is another one of those unique thinkers he's not a copycat and he marches to his own drum so i was putting those three guys in that same thing of just zero fear of loss 
I don't know where I got Dan Kennedy in my head, but uh, probably because you said about because I can see Dan Kennedy doing that too, like yes. sorry, buffer day. But uh, Dan Sullivan, we've had him on twice in the past years ago, and yeah, hundred uh, percent. In fact, how I think we got him on is because he was interviewed by Darren Hardy. Uh, for Success Magazine, and our style of interview was similar. So I approached his team because he had said on the interview, this is the best interview I've ever done. And wow. so then I think that's why he said yes, is because, well, I like that interview. I'd like another interview in that style. So, I mean, I guess I did a bit of research to hear that he said he loved it. But, uh, yeah, so totally Dan Sullivan was strategic coach. Yes. And also him and Joe Polish do a lot of stuff now together on podcast. I think they have a podcast now, 10 by 10. And I think Joe is part of the reason Dan now is a little bit more accessible. At one time, Dan was not that accessible. You know, he just did his thing and you had to show up in Toronto or Chicago to access him. And uh, I've always thought he's had a brilliant business model. I, I'm, I'm a fan of everything Dan has done. Yeah, I feel like one, uh, I'm going to say, we, as we jump into some golden nuggets, if you will, or strategy, I think one strategy or, or nugget people can take away is to research and start reading the books of, you know, Darren Hardy's two, I think two books. He probably has more, but I know two of them, The Entrepreneurial Roller Coaster and The Compound Effect, which is one of my favorite books ever. Robin Sharma, I can look over here and see three or four of Robins, The Destiny, Discover Your Destiny and The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari. Um, and Dan's teaching around entrepreneurship is second to none, in my opinion. So yeah, I think even just uh, a lesson for people is just go follow those three cats and look at what they're doing. Uh, and also, I'll add John Asraf, since we're on the Canadian theme. Um, having said that, uh, what, one question that was submitted to me, because I had mentioned how your quote book, I love that idea of you put the quote book together. I know you put it together for multiple people, but when you were talking about it, I think it was the Jim Rohn one that sold 6 million copies or something like that. And so, of course, because I put that out there, some of the successes you've had in the publishing side, which you're still having and still doing, uh, one of the questions was, what are his top three tips around the book publishing world? Like how to have a successful book, for either from a writing or a marketing perspective, I guess. Yeah, so the, the quote book, just to close the gap on that, when I took over Jim Rohn, uh, when I started Jim Rohn International and took over exclusive rights to promote Jim, I asked some questions. So this is going to apply to the question about the top three book tips. But I wanted to get really clear, and it's what I talk about in the strategic marketing wheel, is what's the one thing that's going to knock down all the dominoes? And when I start asking my question, what one thing, because the wheel is a circle, you're the hub, and each spoke is a product or service. So when I inherited Jim, he had a one book, he had one audio series, he had a one-day seminar and a two-day seminar, and those were spokes. And I said, what one spoke would get people on the wheel and take them around it? And so I started asking, what's Jim's secret sauce? What makes him special? Who's the avatar client we want? And you know, what one thing will knock down the dominoes? And what made Jim so special was he was such a prolific wordsmith. That That's... You know, if you look at Brian Tracy, he's an incredible researcher and can take all these things and get it down to the most important points. Well, Jim just had this ability to say things in such a special way. So I started going through my notes of his seminars, plus his one audio series, his book, and there were so many great quotes. And so I thought, I'm going to create a quote book and I will send that to corporations is a, and put it like a little booklet that'll fit into a folder. So when they open it up, 
that's what makes Jim different than everyone else. I thought that was pretty unique. And then I got to thinking the other thing about Jim, and I said it earlier, he's the gateway drug to personal development, was people loved Zig. You know, the second closest I, I would, or loved Jim, and the second closest I would say would be Zig. Like when you find Zig fans, well, it's the same way with Jim. It was just over the top Jim Rohn fans. So I call those advocates. And so here's a great lesson. If you have advocates, you got to make it easy for them. You have to empower them. And I thought, how can I make it easy for my advocates? So I really killed two birds with one stone. I created a quote booklet that I could send with Jim's corporate pack to, to book him to speak, but also wanted to get it in the hands of my advocates. And I thought it's got to be easy. So, you know, I'd sell it to them 10 for $10 or, or $60 for 100 and I made it so easy. And then I had the to and from, you open it up. So to Corey from Colin, there's this incredible Jim Rohn quote. And then I put my catalog in the back and I put how they could order additional books. Corey, I kid you not. I, uh, from the time I started sending those out to the, this is pre-internet, when I started sending it out to people that had purchased tickets at my events. And so I started just sending that out. I remember the day, you know, whatever it was, a week later, my mailbox had orders in it because I sent out an order form when I started sending out this gift book, right? So, I, and then I'm, I have so many stories about that. One would be Jeff Olson when they were starting uh, TPN, the People's Network. So it was Eric Worre, Jeff Olson, and Jeff opens up a briefcase and pulls out the quote book and said, "You create this?" I said, "I did." He said, "Okay, I want to work with you." So. I'm the guy that brought all the speakers in, right? That little quote book was um, a, really a viral tool that kept on giving. And so it was built around. And so back to the book question, I've always used books as a lead gen, as a business card, as a way to get people on the wheel and I make it easy. So there's a lot of questions. I mean, it, it would be, why are you doing the book? Uh, what, what, what's behind it? Who are you trying to reach? What's the core message? Does it need to be a hundred pages? Does it need to be 250? What are you going to do for it? I, I think less is more. Darren Hardy and I had this conversation on the podcast. He said, he'll never write a book again. He's like, I wrote my couple of books. I'm good. And he's like that same intellectual property. Now it's a $10,000 product for him. He's like, I don't need to give away all that intellectual property into a $12 book. So he's according to him right now, he's not going to do that. So his new course, you know, is uh, all about the hero's journey. And instead of that being a book, he made it a product, but he did want that book, that signature book to be a number one bestseller to uh, create that credibility, to have that story so my biggest question for people is why do you want to write it? It can't be an ego thing and it's certainly not build it and they'll come because they won't. You have to know how to market it. And um, again, I'm going to use that to get people on my list. Amazon at the end of the day is a search engine. So someone goes in and types what they're looking for. So if you have a, a book that's on Kindle, if you have a uh, just a paperback book as well, those are opportunities to reach people you normally wouldn't reach. My last piece of advice is make it good. That's the biggest mistake I see people make. They think, because they see these write a book in a weekend or whatever, or just transcribe a book. That's one way to do it. But that's not what Robin Sharma did. That's not what Darren Hardy did. That's not what Dan uh, uh, 
uh, Sullivan did. It needs to be good. And I want to go back to, we talked about that quote book, 6 million copies viral. Viral doesn't happen unless it's good. It's the number one marketing principle I have is create something that's good so it'll become viral, so it'll compound. Good stuff compounds, bad stuff dies on the vine. And so don't get caught up in writing a book because you think it's going to do all these amazing things. Feel like you have something to say and you have an audience that wants to hear it and be prepared to go the extra mile. You were on the call, I think, that Tom Burns was on. Tom's an orthopedic surgeon, has over 400 million real estate he created. Uh, I was coaching him. He's been part of some of my collaboration books, but Tom spent three years on his book and he rewrote it and he made it a masterpiece. Now it's paying massive dividends. So do it right is my approach. I love that, Kyle. And, you know, we've talked um, on here before about how James Redfield, when he wrote Celestine, you know, 25 million plus copies sold. What James did is he labored over the book. He wrote many, many drafts. And after he wrote many, many drafts, he had a 50 person, and this was pre-internet as well, 50 person focus group. And he said, yeah. will you keep reading the book if I keep sending it to you? And what he wanted to know was what page do you stop, get stuck on? And so he would rewrite the book over and over again until all 50 people said, it's a page turner. I couldn't put it down this last time. Wow. I, mean, I didn't know that. that. That's, that's, thanks for sharing that. That's powerful. Yeah, and it, and it, and obviously it worked, right? Um, yeah. I mean, and that's unusual. That's unusual for back then to have that kind of clarity. That makes him an outlier. You know, I did Chicken Soup for the Entrepreneur, so with Mark and Jack, and every story had to have forty people grade it like a a plus plus. And for Chicken Soup for the Entrepreneur, so we had five hundred stories, and my Bill Gates story didn't make it. My Michael Dell story did not make it. And I was so pissed. <laughs> I'm like, guys, it's chicken soup for the entrepreneur. So it doesn't have to have a plus plus, but they were so clear that these 40 readers had to feel like it really connected with people that, uh, I, I would say similar to James chicken soup had that same type of, you know, boxes that they, they had you check. So do you know, and again, I'm going to dive further down the rabbit hole around insights, but do you know uh, if the those early editions of Chicken Soup for the Soul, and I'm not saying the entrepreneur one I think came out after, like I don't know if it was in the first round, but what I'm wondering is, do you know how many uh, stories would have been submitted for them? And the reason I asked this is we had Marcy Shimoff on recently, and she co-wrote the um, Women's Soul, Chicken Soup for the right. Women's Soul. And, and she said she uh, actually called Mark and, and Jack and said, you know, I get this idea. And then the two of them and the publisher said, why haven't we, why aren't we doing that yet? And so it was kind of, I think it was sort of her baby with them. And Mark kind of reaffirmed that recently. But my question is, she said she read through, and I'm wondering if it was for just that book or all the books before it, but she said she read through 20,000 stories. Was we, that sound right for submissions? Well, I didn't. So for my, so early on, I don't know. Uh, all I know is for my specific book, Chicken Soup for the Entrepreneur Soul. Yeah. I wasn't asking for submissions. I was going out and interviewing entrepreneurs. And so oh, okay. we had 500 stories from people. I, I was trying to recruit into the book that I thought would be amazing. A little bit of a different animal for entrepreneur than for women's soul. So I can, I can see that. And I, I think early on, uh, 
it would have been hard to have that many submissions because the word's not out. But I think Women's Soul was the third book because it's it Chicken Soup 1, Chicken Soup 2. Yeah. And so, yeah, by that time, and I got a fun fact. It was 1996, and I'm telling Mark, Mark, all these people buying your book, how do they know how to find you? And he goes, what do you mean? I'm like, I would put an insert in the book of how to get on your mailing list because what makes me different than most promoters, promoters go into cities and they leave again, pre-internet. I'm building an email list and that's how I launched the quote book. So I'd already had success with my quote book and uh, he wrote that down. He was all over it, you know, within a month, health communications was, was putting in inserts into every book, how people could get on the mailing list, which really helped them when the internet started taking off. And uh, Chicken Soup was one of the early newsletters that started coming out. Amazing. Well, I was going to ask you, I, I feel like I have it on my bookshelf here somewhere, but the Chicken Soup for the Entrepreneur's Soul was one of the entrepreneurs that 1-800-GOT-JUNK or got flowers was yeah. one of those in there that you interviewed? Because I, I think, was there only one entrepreneur soul or was, or do you know? There was, no, there was only one. Okay. Yeah, because I, I have it either here or home. And I just remember that, one, I think it was the flowers, one thing I got flowers. I remember what one thing that was unique about yours, I thought, was if I remember correctly, there were logos either on the front or the back right. or something. Anyway, I just, I always remember that. I don't know if that was a personal decision or where that came from, but I thought that was cool. Yeah, it it's a, it's a book I, I'm being totally honest, I'm a little disconnected with because a lot of the stories I really wanted in the book, because I am an entrepreneur and I thought they're not necessarily looking for the, the chill bumps as much as they're looking for the lesson and the social proof of some of the bigger names I had that didn't make the book. I was a little disappointed. And by, you know, what happened is we were, we were one of the early like 2000 or excuse me, 1995. And, um, you know, Mark basically said, Kyle, you pick any, any title you want. He really wanted me to do network marketing. And I had a reason I didn't want to do that. And I said, I'm an entrepreneur. I want, let me do uh, entrepreneurs. And, um, and we, we moved really fast, but then when they weren't hitting the mark, that really pushed us back even a couple of years to, to, so I, I was busy doing my thing and some of those stories weren't making it. And someone else helped cross that, uh, get the book across the finish line based on uh, what the chicken soup. I mean, it had grown so big now, right? Absolutely. They, they were over a hundred million books. So. No, that, that answers my question. That's perfect. Um, so, you know, moving away from books, I want to move to podcasting. So uh, with you, because you have experience in the three areas that I like to talk about the most, I figured I'd ask you questions around each. So I asked people their thoughts around questions around each one of them. And so the, another question, which again, it's, it's kind of a general question, but around podcasting, you've been running your podcast for a while now. And the question was mainly, what have you learned around podcasting in terms of do's and don'ts? Well, again, I kind of meet, uh, march to my own drum. So I broke a lot of the rules. If you're, you know, you hear, make it short, uh, make it very topic driven, you know, figure out your topic, stay focused on that. My own personal rule is what's your secret sauce? Who's your avatar? And so for me, my secret, one of my secret sauces are that I just, I've worked with some of the biggest people and it's not like a photo op. I mean, these are relationships that span 25 years. And if I'm really thinking of the listener, who do I want to reach? 
I, I'm endeared to the person that would say, I would, if you had Jim Rohn on for two hours, I would listen to it twice. And I love that person. And they're never going to get that opportunity for someone like me to ask questions that are way beyond that first level, second level, third level. It's the stuff you would only hear, right? From someone that that's worked with them so closely. So that's the direction I took. You know, I interviewed John Asraf at his house. I met John in 1997. I interviewed Darren Hardy at his house for two hours. And that those are breaking the rules, those long form podcasts. But I was, I was, you know, honoring who I wanted to really gift this to. That's not how you do it from a marketing standpoint. And I know that and I am a marketer, but I, I had a bigger purpose in doing the podcast. Moving forward, I might do some shorter podcasts. I'm torn. Um, I might do some more market. And the other thing is I'm a marketer, but it's so noisy out there. I didn't even want to compete in the, the marketing space. So I just built it around stuff that's interesting to me, you know, so I have Phil Collin and Def Leppard on for an hour 45, and then I have Darren Hardy and then Bob Berg. And so it's a very eclectic group. And um, so I'm breaking a lot of those rules, Corey, but I also, I'm, I'm basing it very much on relationships. You know, I get submissions all the time and it's like, if I hadn't worked with someone or known them for a long period of time, it's unlikely they're going to be on the podcast. Uh, so I'm not a good one to ask on the, that other than find something here. Here's what I love. And I do this with my inner circle. I do it with the books. I do it with the podcast. I want to be around people I'm going to grow from. Mm -hmm. I want to be around people I'm going to learn from most of my podcast. And I do edit my own podcast. I don't send it out. And I, so I break every rule because I want to, I've always created products like it's going to be around for 20 years and I just want it. I kind of know what's I think is important to the listener and I want to go through it. And I end up usually listening to them two or three times. I feel like there's so much value in what the person is saying because I'm not asking them the question that you can go hear the answer on YouTube on any video. I'm not asking them to give me their seminar. I'm peeling back and and Darren Hardy and I talked about this. When you ask someone a question that they're not used to being asked, their eyes look up, then they answer and out comes wisdom. And so I'm, I remember asking John Asaraf, because John's very on point. Like he knows his message. He's got, he knows where he's going. And uh, I kept asking him things and they love it. But then you're hearing answers you wouldn't hear and you're going, that's incredible. Wow, you just blew me away with the depth of wisdom that you just shared. And so I get a lot from it and I'm proud of it. Uh, I haven't reached as many people as I could if I had a different format, but I'm okay with that. Again, this interview was from theinfluencervault.com. Come and join us as a member inside the Influencer Vault to see how we can help you up-level your game, become an expert sooner and become an influencer today rather than tomorrow. Again, theinfluencervault.com.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.